What if through compassionate mindfulness and omnipresent awareness, you became instrumental in creating lasting impact? What if you surrounded yourself with people who had the same mission as you did? Welcome to Mindful Mompreneur Moments, the podcast that will provide the midlife mompreneur with a combination of mindset, mindfulness, and meditation tools. Each month, we delve into a specific theme that will allow you to take actionable steps that may just spark a little fire and get you pumped for whatever comes next. I'm Shilpa, founder of Omni Mindfulness Coaching. And I'm Tanya, founder of Xenia Coaching. In this space, we will share impactful interviews that tell compelling stories, relevant insights, and guided meditations. The stories we share through the lens of mindful entrepreneurs will resonate with you and give you an opportunity to be inspired. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. So as part of our intentional living, mindfulness in a growing multicultural world, we had the honor of having a deep conversation with trailblazer, American Indian Democratic leader, Harini Krishnan. For those of you who may have missed part one to this great conversation, go ahead and have a listen to it. She is a wealth of knowledge and her genuine kindness comes through so clearly. So here you have it part two of our conversation with Harini Krishnan. What does an ideal multicultural world look like to you, Harini? I think, wow. Um, you know, I, I think an ideal multicultural world is, is one where our identities are acknowledged. You know, too often, you know, I hear people saying, oh, I don't see race, I don't see color, um, I don't see differences. But to me, a true multicultural world is when we, we do see our racial backgrounds, our ethnic backgrounds, our cultural backgrounds, because that defines who we are. You know, every one of us um, shares a unique you know, brings with a, you know, we bring with us a unique set of life experiences, right, that define who we are. And so if you say you don't see that, then you don't see a part of you, right? So an ideal multicultural world is one where we do see that and we not only embrace it, um, you know, but we celebrate it. You know, too often I, I hear people using the word, oh, we accept, right? Um, I don't like that word. Um, you know, I, I say champion. We champion our differences. We champion, we celebrate. Um, you know, uh, we share in the joy that our diverse experiences bring. Um, and that helps us strengthen who we are as people. So I see a world where um, people of all backgrounds and cultures um, you know, can share their identities free of fear, free of disdain, um, free of judgment. Um, whether that's in your day-to-day -day life, whether that's in schools, um, whether it's, you know, whether you choose to 
um, you know, be, uh, wear a certain type of clothing or be with a certain person or eat a certain type of food, um, or pray to a certain God or spirit out there, um, and where it is celebrated out in the open. And more importantly, as an organizer, I will stress this, where every one of us has a seat at the table. Um, because I often hear a lot of talk, especially in political organizing and political spaces about equity and equality and diversity and inclusion. But true inclusion and celebration of our diversity happens when we are acknowledged and we are given a seat at the table and we are represented, whether that's in the halls of government, in public service, in media, in entertainment, in all realms. And to me, that is a true celebration of our multicultural existence. That's beautiful. Just, just beautiful. Thank you so much for that answer. You know, Anna I recall just moments ago you had articulated that we are at different phases where each of us come with different backgrounds. So the ideal is not quite there yet, but it's good to know that some of us are on a different phase where we are we are ready to embrace it and be the champions to bring in the others to see that this this ideal is embracing everyone and there's the fear factor needs to be shed because i think I'll no yeah and i it's so funny that you, you know i'm i'm so glad you that you brought that up because you know it reminds me of so in in one of the organizing classes i took uh you know, Professor Gans opened with, what is the catalyst for you for organizing? Um, and then he put us in breakout rooms. And um, I was paired um, with this, um, uh, with this incredible, you know, beautiful woman from Yemen um, who talked about her journey, you know, and, um, at first, she, she said that she wanted to bring change. It was a very um, kind of a generic response. But, you know, he really um, pushed all of us to look deep down and talked about how pain translates into action, right? Um, that pain often serves as the catalyst um, and the platform for change. And um, then she shared the story of, how um, her father was imprisoned and a political prisoner um, and seeing him being taken away from her home um, when she was barely nine or 10 years old. And what that made her feel, it made her feel helpless. It made her feel like she had no power, that she, she, had, she could not control, she, you know, she couldn't do anything for her loved ones and how that was the catalyst for change. Um, and I think about, I think about that and I feel like, you know, for each of us, um, we have opportunities, um, that enable us to become catalysts for change. Um, sometimes some of us do, some of us don't. So the pathway that each of us has looks different because of those circumstances. You know, for me, I grew up in a home, um, defined by strong women, 
you know, my mom at um, the age of 16, my mom is one of five daughters um, who grew up in Southern India. And in the 60s in Southern India, women seldom left the home to go to higher education, let alone anywhere else. Um, they were often married off by the time they were, um, you know, 18 or 19. Um, and because, you know, their uh, the honor of the family was equated with marrying off your daughters. Um, and yet my mom had uh, such an irregular path. Um, at age 16, she joined what is called the National Cadet Corps, which is kind of like the ROTC in the US. And um, as part of that, she was recruited to join a mountaineering expedition with Sherpa Tensing Norgay, who was the Sherpa who climbed with Sir Edmund Hillary, um, who was the first to summit Mount Everest. And uh, so she was invited um, to join this mountaineering expedition. And my uh, grandfather, her father had to sign a death waiver, which said that your daughter might not come back home, that you know, your daughter is going to travel with all these men, right, as part of this mountaineering expedition. Are you okay with that? And he basically said, he said, that's her destiny. And I look at that, you know, look at how blessed she was to have an ally in her father at a time when women didn't leave the home. You know, he said, it's okay. That's part of her destiny. She wants to do that. I'm proud of her. So off she went, you know, she went and climbed the third tallest mountain in the world. She climbed Mount Kanchenjunga as the first South Indian woman, came back safe and sound. And uh, she won uh, a medal of um, courage from the commander of the Indian Armed Forces. It was a silver pickaxe. And she uh, was given the title Malay Yeri Amange. In, in Tamil, that means the woman who climbed the mountain. Um, and even now, she's recorded in the annals of fame as Malay Yeri Amange. Even now, when I go to southern India, you know, people tell me, do you know whose daughter you are? You are Malayeri Amange. And to me, from a young age, that carried a responsibility. With that came a sense of responsibility. I am the daughter of a woman who broke gender barriers at age 16 against a community who probably maligned her. Um, there were her own extended family members you know, who, who um, told her father, how could you let a young woman travel with all these men? She's never gonna get married. God knows what'll happen. He said, no, I have faith, I have trust in my daughter. Um, and for her to defy all that, you know, all those barriers, all that um, taboo, right? All that judgment, um, it, it, it you know, and I'm one of three daughters. I have two sisters who are my sheroes. Um, you know, they're not political organizers like me, but they're phenomenal women. Um, they're phenomenal women who are phenomenal mothers, who are phenomenal community leaders of their own right. And it's because we had an incredibly strong mom. And it's also because she was blessed with an, uh, a phenomenal ally, not only for a father, but a husband. You know, um, I grew up in a household where, you know, unlike the typical 
uh, South Asian American family where you are urged to become a doc, you know, a doctor or an engineer, um, you know, my father basically said, go and be whatever you want to be, but make sure you're doing some good in this world. That was his only advice. Um, so to me, um, you know, that was a blessing. Um, each of us married whoever we wanted, you know, and, um, and I feel like when I look at my life, I'm blessed with, um, with an ally. I'm blessed with a husband who's, who's very much, you know, um, in the background. Um, I'm in the limelight a lot. He's always the last person in the last row, but he will sit there um, through every meeting, every uh, concert, um, you know, as a musician, he's always there and he's there for my daughters. Um, you know, and I, I, I look at the legacy that my mom left behind. And to me, that is important because that tells me that I have to use my skill set to pay it forward for women and women of color. One of the things I think our audience would love to know and hear about is how multifaceted you are. Now, I had firsthand experience in college, going to concerts, observing you and being in awe, like, okay, not only is she brilliant um, in academics and has a savvy political um, activist um, gene in her, which I, I was just drawn to, but then tell them about, tell our audience about your, the, I remember the Christian sisters. And your yes. sisters. <laughs> oh my gosh, beautiful voices. Oh, you're so sweet. Yes, Shilpa is, is um, I, I would say she's a little biased <laughs> because she's my sister. But um, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm a proud um, disciple of my father. I come from a family of acclaimed Indian classical musicians. Um, you know, my father is a renowned, uh, rena renowned musician, musicologist. Uh, one of the most well-respected um, Indian classical musicians, I would say, in the U.S. and the world. Um, and, uh, you know, growing up as his daughter, um, you know, was, um, I felt a sense of duty to to learn this beautiful art form. But it, it, it was also um, a blessing um, because Indian classical music was a way for me to connect with my roots even as we moved from country to country, continent to continent, it was a way for me to stay connected uh, to my roots. Um, and because Indian classical music is very much a spiritual, um, you know, uh, system of music. Um, and uh, it, is, um, it is devotional in nature, uh, but it, ha it is very philosophical. Um, and so, yeah, we, I grew up... Um, performing music from a very young age. Uh, uh, we performed our first concert. Uh, my sisters and I are known as Krishnan sisters uh, in the US and Europe. Um, and um, this is, oh, I'll never live this down, but our first album in India was released under the name California Sisters um, because the music um, album uh, industry thought that uh, that would 
you know, that would uh, instill curiosity in people. But often, I often joke that, you know, when people think California sisters, they think of like, you know, girls, 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 you know, girls want to have some fun, you know, the kind of, you know. <laughs> Blonde and, hair, uh, blue eyes, nothing that looks like you. <laughs> yes, exactly. And uh, yeah, our, our, our name, um, you know, was California Girls. Um, and we released... <laughs> Indian classical uh, devotional albums. Um, but then after, um, you know, and we performed together as Christian sisters and often for to raise money for causes. Um, and, uh, you know, after I had my children, it's difficult to perform together because when you perform as a trio, you have to be in unison. Um, and a, and a, another significant aspect of Indian classical music is improvisation. Um, and so when you are improvising as a trio, there's, there's a, um, it requires a lot more practice. Um, you know, I know that sounds like an anomaly, but it is, you know, and um, so we do perform from time to time, but it's a, it's a rare occasion. Um, but um, I've continued um, to teach. So I do guest lectures. Um, um, you know, one of my close friends, um, uh, is a professor of music theory and music education at uh, San Jose State, who was um, who taught my girls as part of Peninsula Girls Chorus, um, and so I um, I do guest lecture series on improvisation, um, how to use improvisation, you know, in Indian classical music and apply it to Western music, and how to uh, teach multicultural songs uh, for um, for master students who are considering you know, becoming choral teachers. Um, so that's something I enjoy. I also enjoy composing music. Uh, I compose music for dance dramas, um, Indian classical dance dramas, and I perform as part of the orchestra as the soloist. And um, one of my greatest experiences was um, my younger daughter um, performed her Bhartanatyam Arangitram. So Bhartanatyam is the in South Indian Indian classical dance. Um, and and Arangetram is a graduation dance where she dances for three hours, um, you know, and uh, she, uh, I was the singer for um, her Arangetram and that was a bond we shared and an experience we shared uh, that I'll never forget. You know, my father composed songs for her Arangetram. I composed songs for her Arangetram. Um, and one of the songs uh, that my father composed was the, on the essence of, um, of the divine that is feminine. Um, you know, he composed a song called Abhayamba on Shakti. Shakti is deep-rooted deep, um, uh, female consciousness. The female consciousness that's in every living being in this world. Um, you know, uh, Shakti is actually a Sanskrit word that means strength, um, right? And uh, so that tells you, um, in the in in Sanatana Dharma, in 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 my faith, um, you know, we truly believe in the importance of Shakti in all of us, the strength in all of us, and to think that that consciousness is feminine, is divine, tells you that you know women are the core of this universe, in yeah. whether as moms, as um, you know who we are, right? Um, it's a it's a part of our faith. It's extremely telling as well of your family and um, the beautiful messages your your father has instilled into you throughout your life and him being so against all odds of, of 
the cultural, you know, um, how should I say it, the cultural facts of, of mm -hmm. you know, Indian culture and him being mm -hmm. so open and so welcoming to so many, you know, it, it's just a beautiful thing. And I, I have to say the humility that comes out of you is, is phenomenal because if we don't hear your story, you know, some people may be very boastful with the, 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 the lineage that you have, the, you know, the beautiful mother and all of her accomplishments against, again, against all odds. And it carries such weight. It's like we're walking on this earth after people who have suffered so much and have also accomplished so much. And within your, your family, it's, it's just a beautiful example of such accomplishments. And it continues with your beautiful daughters who Shilpa raves about and says how, how much they are, are so beautiful and accomplished. So uh, kudos to you, Harani for, for Harini, for being so humble and welcoming to us and being here with us. It's just very, it's, it's just touching. I, I just... <laughs> No, I, I, um, I feel blessed to be able to, you know, to share my journey with you. And I'm actually humbled, um, you know, to, to be amongst the both of you, the work that you do to elevate stories and elevate consciousness um, is very much needed. Um, it is needed, especially, you know, I feel like at this moment in our global history, right, when um, we need more stories of hope and more stories of, of, of love and of consciousness and of mindfulness. Um, you know, oftentimes, you know, we are just so surrounded by negative headlines, right? Our world is one negative headline after another, um, and we lose a part of ourselves um, every time something like that happens. And we have to remind ourselves that um, you know, like Maya Angelou says, right, the, you know, nothing can dim the light that shines from within. Every one of us has a light that fights against all odds to shine, um, you know, with, with whatever adversity or, you know, whatever obstacles uh, we face. And, um, you know, when, you know, when you talked about, when you talked about the, the sense of duty and the sense of, uh, responsibility, I feel, you know, I want to share this, um, you know, my, my, one of the things that I feel, um, I'm getting emotional thinking about this. One of the things that I feel truly blessed to be is, is the mother of two incredibly beautiful daughters, um, you know, uh, to the outside world, um, they look at what schools they attend, attended or attend, or, you know, what accomplishments at what age. Um, and it is, you know, they've worked hard, um, you know, for those achievements. Um, but to me, uh, you know, the moments that I think about where they've carried that, that sense of duty and responsibility that they feel for being the granddaughters of Annapurna Krishnan um, is, is something you know, that I truly cherish. Um, you know, I remember when my daughter, my older daughter was 19 years old. Um, you know, it was the summer between um, her sophomore and junior year. Um, and she applied for, um, she applied to the Kings County um, uh, uh, prosecuting attorney's office. And uh, they had this 
um, this, this summer uh, position as a protection order advocate. Uh, it was basically in their uh, violence against women department, which is, you know, in civil cases, when women uh, apply for uh, protection orders against abusive partners, um, they don't, you know, they, they, a lot of women don't have the resources or, right, they lack um, the resources to hire advocates. So the court provides these protection order advocates. And so I, uh, my daughter told me about it, uh, you know, it was in Seattle. Um, you know, my daughter has always been a very strong woman. She takes after her grandmother. Um, and so I said, yes, absolutely. This is what you want to do. Go for it. And she invited me to come and see her three weeks into the program. Uh, I remember going and sitting in the courtroom and, you know, as a mother, I watched this, my daughter is five foot four. I watched her walk um, and stand in between a six foot two, uh, really large man and uh, a very small statured petite woman with bruises on her face. Um, as a protection order advocate, she was there uh, representing her client um, so that she could ask the judge for a restraining order. Um, and she had no fear. She had absolutely no fear. Um, me as a mother, I was trembling. All kinds of thoughts went into my brain. You know, I, I thought, oh my God, he knows her name. Um, you know, here's somebody who's inflicted physical harm on somebody he, he you know, at one point loved or cared about. Um, you know, and uh, this, this is, you know, what if he does something to my daughter? That was the thought that went into my brain. Um, I was incredibly proud of her. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, there were a lot of mixed emotions. And I remember walking out of the courtroom and pulling her aside um, after the judge had uh, granted the protection order and she walked her client out to the elevator. Um, I said, uh, you know, Chalam, I am so proud of you, but I'm really scared. Um, you know, I, I want you to be safe. Uh, you know, I, I want you to, and I started going into my mom rant. You know, I want you to walk with your keys and I want you to like look around and be alert. And um, she looked at me. I remember this. I still remember this. She held both my hands and she said, mom, it's okay. She said, I know, I know um, you are afraid. Um, but, you know, I, I get my strength from you and I get my strength from Patti. I'm okay. Um, and in that moment, I, I remember I was a ball of tears and I remember thinking, wow, <laughs> you know, um, she taught me, you know, she taught me about strength. And um, then we had, you know, I remember she took me into her office and then, you know, she told me about this woman and everything that she had experienced. Um, she had uh, a young child who witnessed um, um, his mom being abused over and over and over. Um, and the mom finally uh, gathered up the courage to leave this abusive relationship and uh, seek help for the sake of her child, right? And um, she said, mom, I know you would do anything to protect me. Um, and I'm doing anything I can to protect her so that she can protect her child. Um, and the, 
that to me, you know, at 19, I remember, I remember being choked up, you know, and I remember um, thinking, you know, that when I talk about our shared humanity, I feel like, you know, in that moment, she taught me about our shared humanity, you know, and it, life comes full circle when your child becomes your teacher, you know, and so and that's why I say, you know, when I, I learn about empathy and I learn about strength and courage for my children every day, every single day, you know, and I learn about, um, I learn about, um, I learn about what um, compassion looks like, um, you know, uh, whether it is, I, I remember having a conversation as early as, um, I think three months ago with my younger daughter, um, I was talking about something, um, you know, and uh, I'm, you know, I, I'm, um, I was telling her, um, you know, today, um, you know, we did a, as part of South Asians for, for America, uh, we did a program on, um, you know, uh, pride on, you know, on the discrimination that um, South, A South Asians who identify as LGBTQ or uh, trans members face. And so I was telling her, I said, you know, I learned, I learned today about non-binary identity and I was having that conversation with her. Um, and as I'm talking about an individual, you know, she paused for a minute, she let me finish. And um, she said, mom, um, um, you should say they. Um, and I said, what do you mean? You know, and she said, mom, you know, uh, you know, our identity is everything. Um, and she said, you know, um, I remember how I felt the first time my substitute teacher said, your name is too difficult for me to pronounce, so I'm going to call you this. Um, you know, our identity means everything. It's a part of who we are. So, you know, um, when we pay attention to pronouns and we pay attention to, uh, you know, addressing and identifying people the way they want to be identified, we are showing them that we care. It's just um, the kudos to you, Harini, for raising such beautiful, beautiful souls who are able to teach you still, till the day we die, we're going to be learning from our children. But these girls sound like amazing people that we need to get on our podcast. <laughs> They're just amazing. And it's kudos to you, Harini, really. No. Like, I would love for you to just, even if it's a sound bite, share with us um, your daughter's music. I mean, I've, I listen to it. I, I'm like one of her fans. Yeah. <laughs> you are so sweet. Yeah. yeah. So um, my, uh, both my daughters are singers. Um, my um, uh, older daughter. So I, I started off very early teaching them Indian classical music when they were young. Right. But, you know, as a mother, um, you know, I, I think one of the, um, most important things for us to recognize as mothers is that they're living their dreams and not our dreams, uh, that they're living their journey and not our journey. Um, and sometimes we have to catch ourselves, right? You know, as the daughter of Thiruvayad Krishnan, I wanted to teach my daughters um, Indian classical music. I exposed them to Indian classical music. They learned it. But I also sensed that um, that was not their true calling. You know, um, as much as they appreciated it, um, they 
you know, I don't think they were ready to perform it, um, you know, on stage, um, you know, and so I realized early on that my uh, children, um, so, you know, in order to, my kids were very shy, believe it or not, when they were young, and so to get them over, you know, you know, to get them more comfortable, um, I joined, <laughs> I myself joined a community musical theater um, uh, production company locally, um, and it was called Barrie Educational Theater Company, um, and I auditioned, and because of my deep-seated voice, right, so I, I became the villain, um, and so for a period of five years, I was the villain in every show they cast, you know, I was Eveline, um, I was the sour kangaroo. I was the red queen. I was, you name it, you know, um, I wore every poofy costume out there. Um, and I did it because I wanted to show my children that performing doesn't have to come with anxiety. It doesn't have to come with judgment. It doesn't have to come with, uh, this deep sense of responsibility. Right. It's hard um, to see you as a villain. <laughs> it's really hard oh, to see. Wow. I'll share pictures, trust me. You'll see me as sour kangaroo. I have things sticking out of my hair. Um, those are great oh my- insights to, to give our audience because <laughs> we always give, we always ask uh, our guests at the end uh, for insights. And that's, that's a great one right there. Yeah, so I, um, you know, I thought if they saw me performing and having fun, that they would do that too. And they did. They signed up to be ensemble members uh, in their first show. Um, when I was Eveline, my younger daughter was my underling and I had to whip her fake, fake whip her on stage. Um, we always joke that I got away with it. <laughs> and then, um, uh, but you know, their love of theater grew, their love of music grew. Um, and so the next show they auditioned for roles and, you know, um, and over time, you know, they, you know, they developed a a love of musical theater to this day, it carries through. Um, And uh, when, so both my children have developed that love of performing. My older daughter has a very uh, alto voice, um, you know, or at least that's what she explored when she was young. Um, And she uh, was into pop and jazz uh, and my younger daughter has a love of musical theater, and she's a coloratura. Uh, I discovered early on that she has a four octave range, um, and uh, so uh, took her to a voice teacher. Even though I'm a voice teacher, I said no. This is this is where her calling is. This is where her interest is, um, and she developed into a beautiful musical theater and opera performer um, at age. Um, Uh, At age uh, 16, um, she became the um, youngest member of the New York Lyric Opera Theater Company. Um, And I spent a summer uh, taking her to studios because she was too young to be by herself um, in performances and rehearsals, Um, you know, where, and she performed uh, with the New York Lyric Opera Theater Company. Um, She was also, she uh, became, she is the 2017 Classical Voice Musical Theater Performer of the Year. Um, and so she, um, you know, this is a journey that she chose. Um, and so now she's in at USC, she, uh, she studies 
Um, she's in her final year finishing computer science like Shilpa um, and uh, music. Um, and uh, she learns from this phenomenal performer uh, called Rodney Gilfrey, who, um, you know, sings both opera and musical theater. You've seen him in probably on Broadway in a number of shows. Um, and she's continued her love of music. My older daughter, had a different trajectory, um, you know, always, you know, that sense of social justice runs deep within her. Um, and uh, so she, um, but, you know, music was always in her genes. Um, so she joined uh, um, the Harvard Rad, uh, Radcliffe Veritones uh, acapella group. Uh, she became president of the uh, Veritones um, and she performed uh, everywhere around the country as part of the uh, Veritones. Um, and after she graduated uh, last March, um, she was supposed to, before COVID hit, um, she was supposed to go to uh, the Kauai prosecuting attorney, uh, attorney's office to work in their domestic violence department um, as part of a public service fellowship, a postgraduate fellowship and COVID hit um, everything became uncertain. The public health atmosphere in Kauai was uh, not great. Uh, and we weren't sure if there was going to be lockdown and if we would be able to take care of her. So she made the decision that um, she's not going to go. And so, um, and um, she had applied junior year um, to uh, law school. She got an early admission, but as part of, um, uh, you know, HLS Harvard Law School, you have to defer admission for two years. So she is in the incoming class September 2022. So, you know, she was in the state of what do I do? Um, and I urged her, I said, you've always wanted to pursue music. Why not, you know, why not do it? Um, and uh, she did. She um, she became Jay Maya, the artist. Um, she self-published her first song, uh, January 1st, um, of this year. Um, and, uh, since then she now has 7 million streams on Spotify and, uh, she is, she's learning the music industry one day at a time. Um, she is going through new journeys every day. Uh, I hear about it. Um, and I'm learning so much about you know, from her. She loves composing music. Um, she's a huge Greek mythology enthusiast. Um, so um, her first song was called Achilles Heel. Um, and it has all this, this kind of puns and poetic limericks uh, deep in the lyrics that allude to Greek mythological characters. And, um, you know, she has this online following uh, this fan group called Olympic Olympian Angels, OAS, <laughs> who wow. kind of break down her music and the mythological references yeah, yeah. to it. The ones who know about it, they, they catch it. I would be listening to it and be just like, oh, it's a, such a beautiful tune, but not really. <laughs> we have to plug in all of the, in the, in our descriptions, we want to plug in all of that um, so that people can hear. And I'm, I'm curious, I want to really go deeper into that. Um, Harina, we want to ask you one last question, and that is if you could give our audience a tip or insights on how to live with intention and particularly keeping in mind this beautiful multicultural world that we live in. You know, I would, I'm learning myself, um, you know, but I will say, um, open your heart, 
open your heart to new experiences, new people, new adventures. Um, and I know it sounds cliche, but open your heart um, and be open to change. Um, change from within, change from outside. Uh, because when you embrace change, you break down boundaries, you break down barriers, you break down prejudices, you break down um, assumptions. Um, and I think ultimately that is the path for greater understanding. Um, you know, I often reflect if I wasn't open the day after the election in 2016, if, you know, I had fear, you know, I, I was a mom in my mind, uh, you know, I am a mom of two daughters, you know, I haven't worked in a while. Yes. You know, I, you know, I, I, I'm part of the Hillsborough community, the parent community, the school community. Right. Uh, but what can I do? Right. How can I make a difference? Um, in politics, right? There was a lot of fear. There's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of uncertainty. Every one of us, regardless of what stage in life we are in, we're filled with that on a daily basis, you know? And every moment is not the same. Um, but you have to rise above and you have to open your heart. Um, I opened my heart and said, I'm going to embrace change. Um, I'm going to try something new. Um, and what is the worst that can happen? Yeah, and you know, what the best that could happen is with you, with people like you. It's uh, when when it's the best that can happen. It's like, oh my gosh, we can't even imagine our our world without people like you. You're no, on the show, No, I I have to say that um, you know I I am so grateful to be able to share my journey um, with you. I'm inspired. Uh, by phenomenal sheroes like the two of you who are lifting up other people, who are um, providing a platform for people to share their exper experiences so that collectively we can inspire change and we can aspire for a more loving and hopeful world. You know, and Harini, when you, by virtue of opening your heart, you um, helped us see a new presidency, something that we would have not seen in our lifetime you were instrumental and even the small acts like you were saying what can i do to make a difference i i feel the same way the fact that you mentioned you had to google certain things when i saw you blossoming the last few years doing what you were doing out there and advocating on the streets and being the sharer that you are i thought oh it's because she has all this background <laughs> so i don't know how to do any of that like just all I can say, I, all I could offer was meditation. That's all I knew. No, but but think of the strength in meditation, right? Um, I, you know, this this was something, and you know, I and I have to share this. You know, um, Shilpa offered a mindfulness session. Um, you know, this past election during the 2020 presidential campaign, um, we had this GOTV phone bank marathon that was 10 hours a day for five days. And we made, you know, there were thousands of volunteers who would join into these phone banks to make calls uh, to key states around the country. And, you know, 
in between each session, every two or three hour session, we would have speakers come in or offer a session. And Shilpa offered that. And people don't often, you know, um, uh, understand this or, or uh, accept this, but um, mindfulness and taking time for self-care um, is so instrumental to any work you do, right? Whether that's public service, that's organizing, any realm of work you do, if you don't take time to pause and reflect and draw strength from within, you know, you are, you cannot do the work that you do. So the work that the two of you do to instill mindfulness, um, to, to meditate and to reflect is so critical um, in this journey, in every one of our journeys. And I think, you know, the work that you do um, is to me the glue that that keeps people, um, you know, you know, that that enables people to keep doing the work that they do. We all have to derive strength from that. Thank you so much. It, it just it just kind of shows that you can do your part. You know, even if you think you're not, you, there's there's things that you're doing and you keep going. You're doing your part. Thank you so much for that, Harini. No, absolutely. It is. It has been. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Thank you. It has been such a beautiful conversation. You are such a light to this world. And we are so privileged to have had you on this uh, podcast. Thank you so much, Harini. It is such an honor. Thank you, guys. And uh, sending so much love to and light to both you and your beautiful babies. Thank and you. hopefully I'll meet Bye. them very soon. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for tuning in. These episodes are intended to be of great value to you. And so we hope you truly receive something out of this one. And if you did, don't hesitate to spread the love, leave us a review, comment, share with one or two people who may resonate with the content, and please visit mindfulmompreneurmoments.com for some inspiring content. And continue to live with omnipresent awareness and compassionate mindfulness.